Do a, a good thing if you had a, a child or an ox that fell in a ditch, would you do a good thing? And they can't really answer him, so he goes ahead and, and heals the man. So a little bit scandalous. And, and then Jesus observes the way that all the, the Pharisees and all the invited guests were behaving. And, and in those days, you, would, if you, you had a party, you would invite people who are kind of your social peers or maybe one step below if they're respectable, like if you could trust that they were going to like behave okay. But So it's kind of a you know, high status for this town, you know, kind of a big deal. Well, they're all busy, you know, vying for the best seat at the table, and Jesus observes on this and, and basically says, teaches them a parable about the value of humility, um, that they'd be better off looking for the humble seat. Otherwise, if they're busy trying to grasp for worldly status in the eyes of other people, someone might come along and humble you, the host of the party, if you will. So there's that. Then we get to the, the third section, which is where I want to start tonight, which is in, starting in verses 12. I'm going to read verses 12 through 14. And, uh, and this is kind of interesting, because the essence of it is, is Jesus tells the host of the party, you invited the wrong people. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, which is exactly who he'd invited, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. I'm going to just talk a little bit about this short thing, and then you know, we'll get to the main part of what we're going to talk about tonight. But, but again, this is sort of a, it's obviously a high-status meal. It's sort of the best of the best in town. The, the ruler of the local synagogue was, was kind of a big deal in town, so his social status would have been fairly high. And in verse 12, Jesus says, don't throw a lavish party for those people who are your, your peers, who are other high-status people, because all that is, that's about like social competition. That's about promoting yourself. It's about trying to get invited back into their home and maybe work your way up the social ladder. You've got these terribly, you know, it, it might be the nicest party ever, but you're just going to have these motivations in here that are not, not very good. And he says, instead, in verse 13, right, he says, instead, you need to give a, a, pe- a, a feast, throw a party for people who are poor, who are crippled, who are lame, who are blind, the, the lessers of society, the people who, who this person would have never conceived of inviting over for dinner because they offered him no social benefit. There was nothing to be gained by having these sorts of people there. But Jesus says that's exactly who we should be inviting into our lives, inviting into our homes. Are these people where it's not about building a relationship that's going to help me advance my career or, or make the next business deal, but is about just being kind and caring for people who, who need it. And he says, you're going to be blessed by that because in this case, your motivation is not about a transaction. It's not about what am I going to get out of this? It's not you scratch my back, I scratch your back. There's no way these people can ever pay you back. So instead, he says, the reward is in heaven. It is repaid at the resurrection of the just. And and I think that it is worth giving some reflection on this. I, again, I'm not going to dwell on this very long tonight, but I think it's worth giving some reflection because our culture is also status conscious. All right, we can pretend we're not a status conscious culture, but we're fooling ourselves. 
right? I think we can go into a room and, and fairly quickly and a large crowd starts sizing up, you know, people. And we may not be 100% right, but we can pretty quickly form snap judgments about various people's social standing, lot in life, and so forth. The, the very reason that we love stories where, you know, somebody who looks poor turns out to be the millionaire next door is because we think we're so good at sizing people up that we can put people on the spot. So we're still a status kind of obsessed culture. So I think there's a lot for us to think about. What are our motivations when we are investing time in people, when we are inviting people into our homes, when we are going out to their homes? It's like, what is our, what is our goal? Are we corrupting our motivations at all? And the point here is that we need to be free and generous uh, with those who are in need with the knowledge that they're not going to pay us back. Right? I think too often, even in Christian life, we can be like, well, I wouldn't want to help that person out there. They're not going to take, you know, they're not going to use the help well. They're never going to get to get on their feet. They're never going to uh, be able to pay me back. Well, sometimes we do things that are not going to be paid back. That's the calling. The point that Jesus makes is that those things get paid back, but they get paid back in the form of rewards in heaven. Um, and so again, once he, again, we see, we, we go back to those great themes of the Gospel of Luke, the things that, that the Holy Spirit has inspired Luke to particularly emphasize out of Christ's ministry on earth. And we see this theme of the great reversal, right? The, that the last shall be first and the first shall be last. That, that in God's kingdom, it's not about your status on earth and it's not about your bank account and it's not about your pedigree and it's not about your degrees and it's not about your, you know, accomplishments and promotions. It's it's really about your relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And we see, once again, Christ's compassion for those who are less fortunate. Right? We, can, uh, we can become hard-hearted, even as Christians. We can become hard-hearted towards people who are less fortunate. And, and I'm not saying we don't have good, rational reasons for that. But we need to remember Jesus knew everything. He knew what was going on in people's hearts. He was still free and open and generous with his time and with his attention and with his healing and with his love. And so we see once again this tremendous compassion. Let me stop for questions here and then we'll actually take a quick break for prayer as well. Like I said, I can only imagine what the host would think when you're told, oh, you invited all the wrong people. You know, you only invited me and everybody else because you wanted to seem more awesome uh, and because you wanted to move up the ladder. I remember uh, someone who lived on our street at West Acres. She would send out her oldest children to go and invite them. It had to be somebody to didn't know and bring them to a potluck supper that they didn't have to bring anything. Mm-hmm. But nobody knew anybody. I have read of people doing, you know, the kinds of feasts that, you know, that Jesus talks about where they, part of what they kind of do is they save up, you know, for around the year and then they throw this kind of party that Jesus is talking about here where you do bring in those who are in need and, and you know, just bless them. Do they? Yeah. Right. So I want to take a minute uh, for us to pray together as a group and really to pray that, uh, we, that God would protect our hearts and, and keep them tender uh, and, and generous and make us, mold us in the shape of Christ to be 
like our Savior with regard to those who are poor and needy around us and not to kind of work through the, the sort of jading and cynicism that we tend to build up in our sort of day-to-day life and experiences. Uh, so I'll say a quick prayer and then turn it over to the group and then I'll close in prayer at the suitable time. Oh, Heavenly Father, we are challenged by this story, right? Because even as we read it and like to think, oh, those Pharisees, what a bunch of jerks. But, but Lord, sometimes you got to think about, well, why did we invite this person or that person to our house or to go out to lunch with us? Was it truly a genuine thing or was it a, a desire to, to network, to, to gain some advantage out of it? So, Lord, uh, as we turn to you in prayer, I just pray that you would give us hearts of honesty about our, our emotions, that you would reveal to us our motivations, uh, and that you would help us to be tenderhearted and generous after the example of your Son. Oh, Heavenly Father, as we come into this month of thanksgiving, we do give thanks for all that you have given to us, and as we stop and reflect on the many blessings you have poured into our individual lives, but also into our church life, and we was just having a conversation uh, not the, just a few minutes ago about you know the fantastic kitchen and facilities we have here and how can we use them in a more more powerful way to do the work of your kingdom, Lord. Uh, so help us in this time of Thanksgiving, even as we are celebrating all the good things going on in our life, Lord. I pray that you will help us to have open eyes and 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 tender hearts that we would seek to to give back to your kingdom, a portion of what you have given to us, Lord, by by actively making a difference in the lives of those whom your son invites to the table. The poor, the handicapped, the sick, the lessers of society, the outcasts, the addicts, the homeless, all the various things you could come up with in modern day terms that would be describing the sort of social outcasts that Jesus is saying we need to invite into our lives and to our church. We need to be seeking out and blessing as you have blessed us, Lord. This is a huge challenge. This is very difficult for those of us who have, been, who have just been raised on, on, on all-American individualism. Uh, take care of your problems yourself kind of mentality, Lord. And uh, We have a proud culture of that, but that is not the gospel culture that we are called to lay out and present to people. We are called to present your son, Jesus, who came to serve and to suffer, Lord. So, Lord, even if it risks inconvenience, even if it risks loss, give us the courage to be like your son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Now, if the host of this party thought the dinner was going badly, it's about to get even worse. Because we get to verses 15 through 24. Uh, I'll go ahead and read it, and then I I find this first part very funny because I sort of picture the kind of awkwardness that's going on in this person who's trying to get out of this awkward situation. It says, one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, meaning this invite the, the poor to the table, He said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, 
for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who are invited shall taste my banquet. So verse 15 gives us the sort of segue or introduction to this portion of this conversation. And it's, I think it's probably reflecting a desire on, on some, one of the guests to try and, try and change the subject away from this incredibly awkward moment where Jesus is like, you, just order, you, know, you, 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 you invited all the wrong people and you had all the wrong motives for it. You should really do it completely different. And, and so the person you know, is, is like trying to, trying to fill a little bit of social awkward space. And, and I think he's, he's triggered by that reference to the resurrection, right? That there'll be a reward at the resurrection. Like, oh, 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 I know. Let me say something that'll, that everyone can agree with, right? That, that everyone's going to go it along with, and we'll make a little, little piece, right? I'm sure you've all been in awkward social conversations, and someone tries to kind of throw something out to try and smooth the waters a little bit, and maybe it falls a little flat, but that's kinda, this is kind of the ultimate on that. He says, blessed is everyone who'll eat bread in the kingdom of God. All right, and I'm sure he's expecting everybody like, yeah, yeah, right on. Now we can get on with the meal. And he's referencing here what we sometimes call the messianic banquet, which is the understanding that there would be a time, it promised in the Old Testament, there would be a time when, when the godly, when the people of God would, would, would celebrate and dine with the Lord. That it would be in heaven, that it was going to be this perfect time. And, and uh, one of the most fam- famous passages of this, and I read it a few weeks ago, but I'll go ahead and read it again, is from Isaiah chapter 25, verses 6 through 9. And this is speaking of when the Messiah comes. It's speaking of the end times, the speaking of the restoration of creation and and the time when the people will be in the presence of the Lord. It says, On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. And this is such a beautiful image. It's a beautiful image for us, and we have plenty for people who are hearing this 2,700 years ago, they didn't just go to the grocery store and get their food. So they, this is even, as nice as this sounds to us, this would be phenomenal sounding to the average person in those days struggling to, to make sure that they had enough food if the rains fell, if the right things took place at the right time. And he continues, And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. Right? This is speaking of the eternal life and the presence of God. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him, that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Right, this is the beautiful imagery of the Messianic banquet, this um, end times 
eternal celebration in the presence of God uh, that this person is, is speaking to. Blessed will be everyone who eat bread in the kingdom of God. And, and of course, that's certainly true. But you sort of get the feeling from the way Jesus responds to this man that there's a very generic phoned-in quality to this statement, that, he, that it's almost like maybe it's a saying or something like that, that, that he doesn't really mean it. He just means someday. Oh, you know, that's going to be great someday. But he doesn't really have a real, like, a passion, a real expectation of, of, yes, someday we really are going to be in the presence of God. We really are going to be celebrating in heaven and, and feasting with God forever. And there's obviously no recognition whatsoever that God's kingdom has already come in Jesus Christ. This guy is speaking of some generic thing to try and smooth the social waters and move on. Uh, and we should understand that when he says this, blessed is everyone who will be feasting on bread in the, in, in, in the, in the kingdom of God, he's basically meaning the Jews. Right? There's no place, no category in their mind for other people. Now, the passage I just read to you, Isaiah 25, is clear. Right, that eternity, that the messianic banquet will be for all peoples who come to worship the Lord. But by the first century, that understanding was never there. I mean, it was it had been gone for centuries and centuries and centuries. It was never fully grasped, I think, by mostly Israelites. And so, in their mind, that's talking about Jews, and that by being born Jewish, they get an automatic in. That's really the kind of the mindset they have. And so, and so instead, again, this guy's trying to smooth the water. Instead, Jesus tells a parable revealing who is actually going to be eating bread in the kingdom of God. And that is the setup for this parable he tells of this great banquet that we see set up in verses 16 and 17. The, a man who is, who is planning to give a great banquet. And so he invites lots of people. And in those days when you did a it wasn't, it's a little bit similar to what we do, but in those days, if you're going to have a big banquet, you would first send out invitations to everyone you're inviting, all the, all the, and if you're a wealthy person, you're inviting other wealthy people, right? It's, it's the same scenario as the previous um, discussion, which is that you tended to invite your peers, again, maybe one step lower, as long as they're responsible and respectable, uh, certainly no one below that. And so there's this idea, okay, he invited a lot of people, and you do this in advance, and you would get back basically an RSVP. Are you coming? So that there could be enough food, so that it could be a great event. And so that would be the first invitation, and then would come the day of the event, there would be a second invitation that would come where, where a messenger would come and tell you, okay, the food is ready, come to the house at this time. Now you were already committed, you said you were coming, you've and, and if you were to turn that down, it would be a great disrespect to the host. And so he talks about inviting a lot of people, right? And I suppose we should go ahead and be clear. Sometimes it's, I like to do the, you know, make sure we're on the same page of what everybody in a parable is at the end. But I think here, because of the way the parable is written and the way our discussion is going, just make sure. Let's be clear, right? The master, the one who is issuing the invitations, represents God. The banquet is this messianic banquet. It is the kingdom of God that, that is being invited to. Who are invited? Originally the Jews. They have the covenant. That was the time where they RSVP'd, yes, I want to be part of your kingdom. I want to be your people. We all agree to it. 
That was that initial RSVP. Those were the ones who got the first invite, if you will, in this parable. So he invited them out. Lots of people said yes. And so here it is, the day of the banquet, right, which we know is the day the kingdom appears in the form of Jesus Christ. Right? What has Jesus been saying? If you, if you look back through Luke, what does he preach all the way through? What does he send his disciples out to preach? Rejoice, the kingdom of God is at hand. Right? The, Jesus has brought the kingdom with him. Very small, lots of parables to make sure we understand the kingdom is not now what it will be when he returns. But there is this already aspect of the kingdom of God operating with Jesus Christ. Theologically, we sometimes call that the already and the not yet. So the kingdom of God is already, but it is not yet what it will be when Christ returns. But, so here it is, the day of the banquet. He sends the servant out, right? And a lot of those people who had previously said yes, who we know represent the covenant people, the people who had committed to follow God, refused to come to the event. They are tremendously insulting to the host by this very act. And so here it is, right? Remember, God's kingdom is already present in Jesus Christ, and the invitation is here. He is walking around being, you know, he is basically the guy who's saying, come, the party is here, and it's with me, through faith in me. Follow me. He's going through Luke, and, and instead, what do the people do? They turn him down. They're very busy with things the way they are. They like things the way they are. They're very focused on, well, what do we see? Verses 18 and 19. We see the first set of excuses, right? Oh, I, I just did a land deal. I got to go check it out. Can't come to your party. Oh, I just bought a bunch of oxen. I mean, in five yoke of oxen, there's a lot of oxen. We're talking a lot of money here. I got to go check them out. I can't make it to your party. I sort of lump this in as career and stuff. They are turning down the invitation of the kingdom of God because they need to look after their stuff. They need to advance their career. They're, they're a real estate mogul. They need to be doing their, you know, taking care of their property. They got an investment in you know, a trucking company, you know, heavy farm equipment, whatever you want to think of the oxen. But the point is they're looking after uh, very earthly concerns, making sure they got a good value for their dollar, they didn't get ripped off on the animals, they didn't get ripped off on the land, et cetera, et cetera. They have no time to just enjoy and be a part of God's kingdom. No time to go to this party. Then we see excuse number two in, in verse 20. And this one's kind of strange. I mean, I guess I get the mentality, but it's, it's kind of strange from a, from, a Hebrew, from a Jewish worldview perspective, I'll say that. And another said, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So here, this guy is hiding behind family. I can't come to your party because I'm newly married. Uh, I have some earthly concerns I want to take care of. Uh, I can't be involved in that. And, and it's sort of odd because he says he can't come, but, but biblically, like the, you know, culturally in, in the Jewish world, the only thing that was kind of interesting is for your first year of marriage, you're exempted from military service. Right? They basically want you to make at least one baby before you go off to war and maybe die. Um, <laughs> Well, there's nowhere in there that says for your first year you're married, you can't go to a party. But the guy says, eh, I, I can't go. I just got married. I, I, I married a wife. I can't come to the party. 
And we think about these people that have been invited, right? We know they're kind of at the, you know, they're, they're respectable people. They're people of means, obviously. They've got money to buy land and to buy all those animals. Uh, you know, they've got responsibilities at home. They've got dignity. And, and what do they do? They renege on their commitment to come to the party. And we understand who they are. They are reneging on their commitment to God. They're reneging on the commitment to join in the kingdom of God. And they're hiding behind the tyranny of the urgent. They're hiding behind what I got to do now. Oh, I got to, I got to check this land deal out. I, you know, I got to do this thing with the animals, right? Uh, I'm very busy with my family. And honestly, I, having lived my entire life in Northern Virginia, I sort of feel like we are sometimes not all that different from that, where we are, we like going to church on Sunday, but I'm going to put off doing the kingdom of God stuff because I got to take care of my career. I got to take care of my family. Uh, I got to get my kids to 433 sports uh, because in Northern Virginia, we practice competitive parenting and the winners are the ones whose kids get picked for the most all-star and travel teams. Uh, and everyone else is a loser because their kid was obviously never going to go to an Ivy League college because they didn't play enough peewee soccer. So I feel like we do this same kind of thing, right? We wind up turning our earthly priorities and urgencies into idols, frankly, that we say are more important to us than the, than the things of God. And so we leave have very little left over. So when we are asked to be a part of the kingdom of God, and of course as believers in Jesus Christ, we are part of the kingdom of God, but when we are asked to do things for the kingdom of God or to, to enjoy things, right? They're not being called to like do some miserable service for the master. They're being called to a feast, that he's prepared for them, and still they're like, I'm too busy. I'm too busy. My family's too demanding. My work is, is too busy. This deal is time sensitive. And we wind up neglecting things that are joys to, uh, to us, like our relationship with God. We, we miss out on blessings, like working alongside other, other believers and working for the kingdom of God to advance the kingdom of God. And anyway, I just, I see a lot of our lifestyle in, in these folks who are also sort of on the, the prosperous side and, and comfortable side and therefore, in a sense, too busy for the things of the kingdom. And so the point of this, right, as we go through the story, is, is that these invitees of God, the master, the ones who had said yes, they're, they're, they represent the Jews. They were the covenant people of God, and yet they are too worldly, too focused on what's going on in their, their life to accept the invitation to enter God's kingdom right then and there, in the presence of Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God. They have heard him proclaim the kingdom of, hand, kingdom of God is at hand. They have seen his miracles. They have seen his love and compassion. And they say, hmm. Eh, I'm busy. So what does the master do? He invites the lessers of society. So, you know, he had the sort of, you know, the top tier, cream of the crop invitees. And here he turns instead to the lessers of society. Verse 21, he says, Go invite the poor and the crippled and the lame and the blind. Those who were very much excluded from first century Jewish society. Those who were reduced to begging, there was no social welfare, and there was even a fairly substantial mindset that if bad things were happening in your life, it was because you were a bad person and you deserved it. So it sort of discouraged a little bit of charity. Um, 
But these are the ones who get invited now. And interestingly enough, they're exactly, by the way, the same people, same group, four groups, right? Poor, crippled, blind, and lame. Mentioned in the previous story, that's one of the linkages as these stories flow from one to the next. So here in the, the previous story, the one we read first, is, is here on the earthly sense, you, if you're a person of God, should be concerned with and inviting the poor and the blind and the crippled and the lame into your dinner parties and here, God is making clear, I already have invited them to my party. And this is going to be quite a shock to them. Uh, we know from the Dead Sea Scrolls that there was actually a view that these lessers in society, particularly those who were physically marred in some way, were going to be excluded from the Messianic banquet. That was actually part of the mindset, was that these people would have no place in, in God's kingdom at God's feasting table. But instead, what he's saying, of course, is that they do, and that's entirely consistent with with what God had already promised way back in Isaiah 35, verses 3 through 6, right? This is, you know, in contrast to what the Pharisees were practicing, and in contrast to what we sometimes put in our mindset about who is or is not worthy of God's love, or who is or is not worthy of our love as an extension of Christ, you know, we see the promise of God. From Isaiah 35, 3-6. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. That's the actual promise of God that was completely lost on the people of God by the first century. But these are, if you go back and you look at the miracles that Jesus worked, these are at the essence of what he did. He fulfilled Isaiah 35. He is healing the lame. He is healing the sick. He is healing the blind. He is healing the deaf. Right? He is giving compassion and love and providing food to the hungry this is Jesus, this is his, the essence of his miracles in order to demonstrate that he is the Messiah that Isaiah was promising. And in fact, there was a point in his ministry where, where the disciples of John the Baptist came and said, hey, are you really the guy? And how does he respond? He responds by pointing him to Isaiah 35 and saying, I'm doing all these things. Go back and tell John. So verse 22, we get to some good news. The servant says, sir, what you've commanded has been done, and still there is room. There is still room at God's banquet table. And so then he sends him to go get outsiders. And we should understand those are the Gentiles. That would be most of us in this room. So go out in the highways and the hedges. The people who are not in town, not the, not the close-in people. And two, verse 23 says to compel them, and this doesn't mean like hold a gun to their head or you know, take a sword and drag them in. It means to, to strongly urge or persuade them is the, the right understanding of that original word there. To bring them in. And then we see in verse 24, I tell you, none of those men who were invited, the original group, shall taste of my banquet. And so, so for those who are too concerned with the world, those who are too busy for God's kingdom... Right? Even though the Jews had accepted God's invitation centuries before, they're not going to be at the banquet table. This is the shocking conclusion of this dinner party, is that you people with your hard hearts and your obsession with the best seats at the table, 
and your pride and your worldliness are not coming to the party, but that the people who are coming to the party, coming into God's kingdom, are the foreigners, are the weak, are the poor, are the lame, are the crippled, the blind. And I think it's important that this is really getting to, I think, what is the beauty of the gospel, that God's banquet table still has room. That there is a place at the table, and it's not for the people who, who have everything together and who have you know, always lived a good and perfect life and did all the right things, went all the right schools, made all the right decisions in life, and nothing ever bad happened to them. That's not the requirement for getting to the table. That God's table is there for those who are poor. It is open for those who are suffering, those who are broken, those who are injured and, and wounded and sick and paralyzed and strangers and lonely and outsiders. That God's table is open and that all we have to do to accept the invitation is to trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That that is all we have to do because he brought the kingdom of God with him and we enter into God's banquet hall. And the challenge for us is that if we are already invited, if we are already at the feasting table as believers in Jesus Christ, our place is reserved, but then we need to be inviting others. Because there is plenty of room at the table. And, you know, as Mark was talking about earlier, we see daily what a broken and damaged world we are in. And the thing that's going to fix it is not political solutions. It's not policy solutions. It's not money, right? The thing that fixes and heals a broken and damaged world is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we cannot just be content with our seat at the table. We need to be inviting others to the table as well. Let me stop here for questions or follow-up thoughts, and then we'll have a few minutes to pray. I think that the real for us today from the perspective of um, and I'm not I'm not concerned about those of us that are saved. Mm-hmm. Um because we got a seat. I'm concerned about where he says the people that will not have a seat. Right. I think they're automatically not yes. gonna have a seat. Those people that that um, maybe they grew up in the church. They they feel like they check the box and go and alive and when they live alive they go. Yes. Uh, those are the real Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Because we can, I mean, people can go to church for, for years and years and years, even be pastors and not actually have a relationship with Jesus Christ, not truly have embraced Christ as their Lord and Savior. And so they think they've got to see the table. And, and there are other, you know, there are other passages where we, we see people are shocked. Exactly. Matthew 7. And, and again, we see a similar play out, dynamic play out in Matthew 25. You know, some. There is the, the promise that there are going to be people who are shocked. They're like, I lived a good life, right? What is, with the great American lie, right? I lived a good life, therefore I, I'm, I'm a good enough to get to heaven. That's not what gets you into the presence of a perfect and holy God. That happens to be what the ancient Egyptians believed, right? That if you were good enough, you'd weigh your heart against a feather, and as long as it was lighter than a feather, you're good to go. That's what we have repackaged and recycled in America as, well, I'm a good person, 
right? I don't know, can't tell you how many people have said, oh, I'm a good person, I think I'm good to go. That's not the standard. God is perfect, and he is holy, and he is righteous, and, and if we give the slightest bit of reflection on our own lives, we have to say, yeah, you might be a mostly good person, but are you a perfect person? I'm not a perfect person by any measure. Exactly. One. Very good, very good. Anything else? Any other questions or thoughts? Still room, right? Exactly. There is still room. I want to use this uh, final time of prayer um, just that we would pray for those that we know or that we don't know, the people around us in our communities, in our workplaces, in our schools, uh, who don't know Jesus Christ, who don't yet have a place at the table, to pray that they would accept the invitation to pray that we and others would be extending the invitation, to pray that many would enter into the feast of the Lord. So again, I'll, uh, I'll open us briefly and then open the floor for those. Uh, again, if you feel led to pray on another topic, by all means, but I, I would like us to make sure we spend some time just praying for the lost and that we would be that lighthouse to the community, extending the invitation freely uh, without discrimination to all who, are, who need a place at the table. Oh, Heavenly Father, we praise you as we think about the delights of your feast, of the eternity that you promise to those who trust in Jesus Christ. Lord, we long for that. We look forward to that. We delight in that. It gives us great comfort and strength when we go through difficult times here in this world. But Lord, what an exciting thing that there is still room at your table. So, Lord, as we turn our hearts towards you, as we lay these prayers before you, Lord, I pray in particular for those around us who do not yet have a seat at that table, Lord. I pray that you would be softening hearts and opening minds, preparing them to hear and embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, I I pray that you would work in each of our hearts, not just those present here, but everyone in our community of faith. Work in our hearts such a passion and a love for you, for the glorious work of Jesus Christ on the cross. We would have that urgency that Walt spoke of. We'd have this excitement and desire to invite others to your feast. Heaven is going to be the greatest celebration has ever conceived and it will go on and on and on. So Lord, I pray that you would help us to have a heart for those around us, a sensitivity, a courage to speak and to share this good news. And to understand, even as the people of those days rejected Jesus when he was standing right there in front of them, that we will also experience that, Lord, but that we would not fixate on that. We would not obsess with that. We would understand that that, that is between them and you. That our task is very simple, to extend the invitation. And so, Lord, I pray that you will help us to be faithful in that task, both individually and as a community of faith, all for your glory and in the name of your precious and holy Son, Jesus Christ.
Amen.